art was never my passion. I came into it not because I wanted to express myself, but because I liked to tinker. It started off as a hobby, and it became a side job to make a few extra bucks at craft shows. What I do doesn't cost much to make. I mostly use what nature gives me. No, no, I'm not talking about nude photography. I deal with a completely different kind of junk. I make sculptures out of driftwood. Or, I guess I should say, up until a few weeks ago, I made sculptures out of driftwood. Sometimes hobbies come to a natural conclusion when life gets in the way. Other times you find yourself standing on the beach, almost pissing yourself with fear, and you realize, you know what? Maybe you're just not cut out for this. In my case, it was the latter. The night it happened, I was scouting out a new beach, impossible to reach by car, which I figured explained why no one else was there. Granted, most people don't go to the beach mid-November to begin with. Road or no road, I got my four-wheeler and trailer through the brush and onto the sand. It was peaceful and quiet, with small waves gently lapping at the shore and the sun slowly descending toward the horizon. As far as driftwood goes, I'd hit the jackpot. I'd only made it a third of the way down the beach, and I had already filled my trailer. The only problem was, in my enthusiasm to pile as much wood as I could, I'd worn myself out. It was time for a break and a meal. I jumped on my four-wheeler, drove farther down the beach in search of a nice spot to watch the sunset, and parked near the biggest piece of driftwood I'd ever laid eyes on. It looked like an overturned tree roots splitting into two sections, both reaching to the sky. Touch your wrists together, tilt your hands back, and that should give you an idea of what it looked like. The bark was clean and smooth, like it had been sandblasted to perfection. I sat on one of the larger branches, using the structure as my picnic table and throne. The thing never budged, buckled, or cracked under my weight. Solid as a goddamn brick. I knew... I had to take it home with me, even if it meant dumping everything in my trailer to make room for it. It'd be worth it. I'd either build my largest, most spectacular sculpture yet, or I'd have enough wood to make hundreds of smaller ones. Either option was a win in my book. As I ate, I watched the ocean bathing in twilight and smiled to myself, thinking these were the kinds of sights people paid to see. Here I was, experiencing them for free. The sun thinned and spread into a shimmering line stretching across the horizon, blocked only by a single island and a few thousand yards of shore. I finished my last bite and got back to work. I wasn't sure if I'd be strong enough to drag the roots to my trailer alone, but I was going to try. I put on my work gloves, grabbed two thick branches, steadied myself, and yanked with all my might. Nothing. No movement whatsoever. I circled back to my trailer. The roots needed to be dug out, that's all. I reached through the branches I'd collected for the shovel at the bottom of my trailer and then cursed as I sliced my arm open on a sharp stick. The cut wasn't bad enough to call it quits, but I wished I had gauze to keep sand from getting in. I pried my shovel free and stomped back to the tree roots, taking out my frustrations on the sand by violently scooping out shovels like a dog digging up a bone. I expected to find two halves of the roots converging into a trunk, but as I continued to dig, the space between them never diminished. A loud crack reverberated over the water, drawing my attention to the island near the distance. 
The sound was followed by a few louder snaps as the silhouette of a tree came crashing down on shore and rolled into the depths, forming a large ripple that spread and merged with the ocean waves. Without a doubt, that island had provided much, if not all, the driftwood I'd collected. In a few weeks, months, hell, maybe years, that tree was probably going to wash up nearby and become the base of someone else's sculpture. My biggest mistake that night was not giving any thought to what made the tree fall. There are very few things I can take down a tree of that size, and as I dug my shovel into the sand again and felt the ground start to rumble beneath my feet, I realized an earthquake was one of those things. If it had hit the island first, then it had originated from the ocean. What's the one place you don't want to be in this kind of situation? The shore. You don't want to be on the shore because often ocean quakes are followed by tsunamis. I dropped my shovel and sprinted to my four-wheeler, but the quake intensified and I lost my footing, tripping on small piece of driftwood. The sting of sand in my open womb made me scream into the night. I'm sure the water carried the sound far away to some poor schmuck out fishing who'd never known where the whale of the banshee had come from. As I tried getting back up, I felt something brushing against my legs. In panic, I jerked and looked behind me, letting out a little laugh as I realized it was only driftwood that rolled off my trailer in the shifting sand. More pieces fell and toppled on around me, but there was no time to pick them up. I had to get to higher ground. I pushed myself to my feet and grains of sand off my arm, but I could still feel granules in my cut. Then, as though I'd gotten sucked into a shitty slapstick comedy show, I tripped a second time and hit the side of the trailer, sending an avalanche of driftwood to pelt me. The mass was so heavy I could barely breathe. I felt like I was in the clutches of a boa constrictor. I swiped chunks of wood away with my arm and kicked my heels in the sand, and that's when things took a turn for the abnormal. The driftwood cracked and crunched, and I swear on my father's grave, it began moving on its own. Pieces weren't just tumbling from the motion of the perpetual earthquake. They were coiling around my legs to keep me in place. I did what any sensible person would do in my shoes. I lost my shit. I flailed, I screamed, and I might have cried a little, but nothing helped. The driftwood was climbing my legs and holding me down. God knows why. My feet were going numb, my cut was aching in pain, and I started feeling inexplicably weak to the point I couldn't even lift my head anymore. To make matters worse, the earthquake was getting stronger. It ebbed and flowed as though the beach itself was breathing. From my angle, I saw a throne of driftwood being pushed skyward by something under the blanket of sand. Was this the epicenter? It couldn't be. If it was, then what had happened to the tree on the island? As grains of sand cascaded off the growing mound, I started to see what was trying to tear itself from the ground. It was long, thick, and made of one of those million of white paint colors you see at the hardware store. Maybe ivory, maybe eggshell. I'm not a paint expert, I can't tell you. There were deep cuts and grooves along the surface, some big enough to stick a whole person through. It took me a moment to realize what I was looking at, probably because I'd never seen one so big before, but 
There was no mistaking that elongated snout and stretched, inverted heart-shaped hole where the nose would have been. It was a deer skull, and what I thought were the roots of a tree were actually its antlers. Its jaw screeched in protest like rusted hinges as it slowly pried open its mouth and let out a loud roar. The driftwood pinning me suddenly snapped back and slithered away like snakes in the grass. I still couldn't move. I could only watch in terror as the beast tore itself from the ground like a weed plucked from a garden. It was immense, about as long as a school bus and as tall as the highest branches of an oak tree. In the hollows of its sockets were sizzling, bright red embers that tumbled side to side as its head moved. A long, sticky tongue oozing with black drool could be seen between its chipped teeth. Whenever the deer opened its mouth, the tongue would roll out and hang limply over the side of its jaw. There was no flesh on its skull, but frayed patches of leather and tufts of fur clung to the rest of its skeleton. They hung from its ribs, back, and neck, and blowing like flags in the wind. Through the bones and shrouds of skin, I could see its still-beating heart dangling in its chest, though I couldn't tell you what. If anything, it was pumping. Its muscles were gone, half its organs were missing, and its veins had collapsed and hung like flat tapeworms. It was a living, breathing nightmare, and it was staring me down with its literal burning eyes. I... I... I don't have any money on me. What a stupid thing to say. The deer took a few steps toward me. I expected its footfalls to shake the ground in the same way it had when it emerged, but its feet hit the sand with the delicate weight of a feather. Its ember eyes cast their glow on me, making me feel like a deer in the headlights. Just beyond the brightness of its gaze, I could hear and see driftwood crinkling in the bushes. The branches surrounded us and seemed to watch eagerly like spectators at a coliseum. Even if I'd been able to move and given a sword to fight, I wouldn't have stood a chance at a match against the gigantic undead beast. Best case scenario, I died quickly, impaled by its antlers. Worst case scenario, it used its disgusting, rotting tongue to scrape my flesh away bit by bit like licking a salt cube. It bowed its head toward me and I braced myself for what was sure to be a horrific death. I closed my eyes, took one final breath, and waited. I could feel the deer's hot, wet breath in my hair. I waited. He sure was taking his sweet-ass time, I thought. I waited. It was still just breathing on me. I waited. I couldn't hold my breath any longer. I gasped for air and opened my eyes, only to find its face inches from my own. Our eyes met. It huffed. The embers in its eyes grew and cast away the world around me. I was standing in the forest. There was something odd about my body. I could tell everything was there, but... It didn't feel like it was in the right order, like someone had forced mismatched puzzle pieces together. I was parched. 
There was a pond up ahead, but something felt off about it. The trees around it looked dead, their leaves had shriveled and turned brown, and their bark had broken off and laid scattered across the forest floor. My left ear twitched twice at the sound of a branch snapping under the weight of a squirrel. They came crashing to the ground. The squirrel survived the fall. It skittered to the water's edge, leaning in for a drink. I tried to scare it off, but it ignored my grunts. Something black and vicious slithered out of the water and wrapped itself around the squirrel. The rodent buckled and kicked for a few seconds, then went limp. I took a few steps back and watched as it decomposed before my very eyes, leaving nothing but a skeleton behind. The bones twitched and retreated into the forest. The dark tendril snapped towards me and I quickly ran in the opposite direction. I could hear it slinking across the forest floor trying to follow me, but I was fast and limber. I escaped across the sand bridge to the mainland. I was safe. For now. Time passed. Not sure how much time. The infection spread. When I craned my neck to look, I'd find the halo of withering trees around the pond had grown larger. One by one, the tree trunks eventually broke, sending a tidal wave of animals fleeing the air. After a while, only birds were left to flee. Then, even they disappeared. Something had to be done before it was too late. This was my land, and I was determined to protect it. In the past, I'd witnessed the destructive power of fire. For every tree and brush turned to ash, a new stronger life grew in its place. Fire killed, fire cleaned, and fire purified. Maybe, I thought, maybe fire could end the plague. I waited for a storm, for lightning to strike the match, then pried a burning branch off a tree with my bare teeth. I ran fast as I could across the sand bridge, careful not to extinguish the flame. This was my only chance to save my domain. The darkness was waiting for me in the forest of bones and decay. It had gotten bigger since we'd last met. It had grown almost as tall as me. Size didn't matter. I had fire to fight it back. A creeping dread in my guts threatened to snuff out my courage, but I kicked off the ground regardless and tackled the darkness, huffing as we both fell. It coiled around me, like a snake, as I swung the burning branch into its sticky mass. There was no pain, just the overwhelming need to give up and give in. I felt tired, but I fought the urge to let myself sink into the exhaustion. I had the responsibility to protect my land, but I couldn't let myself forget that. I used it as fuel to keep myself fighting through my quickly decaying body. The fire was working. The darkness was weakening. But so was I. We tussled some more. The flames spread quickly from one dead tree to the next. The darkness shriveled, twisted in agony, and disappeared into its pond. I thought I'd won. I should have stayed behind to make sure my work was done, but instead, I retreated back to the mainland. I didn't want to die surrounded by flames and bones. I wanted to die near my forest, and I had faith the raging fire would take care of whatever was left of the darkness. Limping, I trotted down the sand bridge back to the mainland. 
I could feel wind blowing through the gaps in my body and fire gnawing at my flesh. I collapsed on the beach, feeling what was left of my life draining away. I looked back at the peninsula, and I thought I couldn't see the darkness through the sea of burning trees. I could feel its presence lingering. I'd failed. With what was left of my strength, I pushed myself back to my feet and roared. If I couldn't kill it, I would at least stop it from spreading farther. I reared back and stomped my hooves into the bridge. The sandy path collapsed into the ocean, turning the burning peninsula into a burning island. I surrendered myself to my fate, but death didn't come for me. I couldn't die. I'd become something else, more than just a guardian. I was now part of the darkness I'd fought. More me than it, but still it. Connected like a peninsula to its mainland. When the fire died and the dust settled, a new force grew on the island for the other me to feed off of. I knew I couldn't stop the darkness, but I could and would keep living my cursed half-life, protecting my lands from its tendrils. I can feel it in the driftwood. I can feel it in the bones of the unfortunate birds who land on the island. I can feel it in every one of its extensions. I will burn them all. I will not let it get beyond this shore. It's my duty to protect this land. I blinked. Embers sizzled in front of my eyes. The images faded like distant memories as the deer pulled away. I could move again. I was already standing on two feet, though my legs were shaking. What the hell was that? I whispered. I didn't expect an answer, nor did I get one. The deer quietly turned its head and looked at the island. I followed its fiery gaze. If I squinted just right, I think I could see something moving through the trees, a kind of darkness silhouetted against the starry night sky. It's weird. I'm not even sure if I was seeing it or feeling it. I just knew it was there. The deer knelt in front of me. I was still put off by its appearance, but I felt safe. Safe enough not to flinch. What do you need? I asked. It huffed and jerked its head aside, showing me the burning eye rolling in its socket. Fire killed. Fire cleansed. And fire purified. It wanted me to help it burn the driftwood, I realized. The branches were still hiding outside the light, never too far, nor too close. They were afraid of the deer, but not afraid enough to run. They wanted something. I'm bait, aren't I? The deer stood upright. I took that as a yes. I meandered to the water's edge and left a protective circle of light. The living driftwood slithered toward me immediately, crinkling and crackling as it moved across the sand. They came in a horde, piling on top of one another to be the first to reach me. I had my doubts the deer would rescue me. This seemed to be what it wanted me to do, but I had no reason to believe I was supposed to make it out of here alive. Just had to trust I would. The driftwood closed in on me, but before they were able to strike, I heard a growling hiss of fire. 
The branches shrieked as flames tore through them in an instant, leaving the demonic deer standing in the cinders watching me. I turned around. Cool. Well, uh, I'm gonna go home. Its long, bony snout nudged my shoulder. What more was I supposed to do? I'd played my part, right? The skeletal creature jerked its head toward the island. Hell no, I murmured. Somehow I knew what it wanted without it even being asked. It was a tall order, an order I didn't want to fill, and yet... It's a little hard to say no to a giant undead deer that just saved your life from evil driftwood, you know? It wanted to finish what it had started ages ago, but damned if I know why it thought I'd be any help. Its four legs buckled as it laid down as an invitation to climb on. I wasn't sure how. I'd never ridden a horse, undead or otherwise, and it wasn't like the thing had a ladder. I hesitantly reached up for one of its patches of skin, gave it a good tug to make sure it hold my weight, and then pulled myself on its skeletal back. Sitting there was by no means comfortable, but it was surprisingly stable. I held on tightly to the old porous bones as the creature stood up and began trudging toward the ocean. It remembered exactly where the bridge had once been. It remembered exactly where the bridge had once been, and I think the ocean floor was still more elevated than anywhere else. At its deepest points, the water reached the deer's upper neck and my chest. At its highest points, only my feet were submerged. It was a slow march to the island, which gave my anxiety plenty of time to build. Every step took minutes, and every time I looked back to check our progress, we'd barely moved. My mind started to wander, and in my head I saw visions of the darkness clutching the roots of trees and draining the life out of them like sucking the flavor out of a slushy, leaving only ice, or in this case, dead wood, behind. Somehow I could taste what those trees tasted like. They were sour and grainy. They were satiating, not satisfying. Now birds, on the other hand. Birds were sweet and flavorful, but nothing was as flavorful as... The deer stomped at the water's edge, snapping me back to reality. I didn't want to get off, but I didn't have much choice. The deer knelt and I slid down its head like a child at a park. You sure I can't just... It growled. I'm going, I'm going, I said. It huffed a warm puff of air on me. I'm not sure if it was meant as encouragement or as a warning of it growing impatient. Either way, I started walking toward the forest. You know, for an island supposedly home to a life-sucking monster, the greenery looked fairly healthy near the water's edge. Then again, if the darkness's food supply was limited, maybe it was keeping these plants and trees as a reserve. It'd likely jump at the chance to eat me. It hadn't gotten something as big to feast on in decades. I still remember the thirst-quenching exhilaration of larger mammals. If it had lips, it'd be licking them right now. As I ventured into the forest, I found a completely different landscape. Gone was the greenery, and in its place was death as far as the eye could see. There was nowhere my feet could fall where bones wouldn't snap like twigs beneath them. Skeletons blanketed the forest like snow. I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of creatures, had spent their final moments here. I prayed I wouldn't join them, 
No one would ever be able to find my bones in this overflowing, exposed graveyard. I glanced back to plead with the deer, but it was gone. If I had the strength to swim back to shore, I would have tried, but I barely had enough energy to walk. I tried to be quiet and not draw attention to myself, but my footfalls were sloppy and loud, and my heart refused to lower its volume. It was just a matter of time before the darkness heard the dinner bell and came for its meal. Out of the corner of my eyes, I caught it moving through the trees. I froze and swallowed a knot in my throat. I don't think the word afraid really cuts it. I was a mouse who'd been spotted by an owl. I could try to run, I could try to hide, but it was already too late. It was going to take my life, and maybe in a few years, my bones would wash up on the shore like old driftwood. It was like oil, thick and dark, with rainbow highlights reflecting off its surface, as though it were simultaneously made of nothing and everything. As it trickled closer, I found myself surrendering. I had nothing to defend myself against its single-minded determination. I can only stand there and resign myself to fate. Just as a thick hand-like tendril reached out to take me, the deer's bright glowing eyes appeared in the darkness as though out of nowhere. Its antlers ripped through the wilted trees, tearing into the mass of blackness. The bait. Right. I was the bait to draw the creature out of its pool. I don't know how I knew that's why I was needed, I just did. Something about the pond protected it, but if food came into its territory after so many years of chewing on scraps, it wouldn't resist the call. Somehow I understood all this. Somehow I felt the hunger, the burning desire to kill it, and the fear of my own death rolled all into one. The two fought as I stood on the sidelines. The darkness lashed the deer violently across the face. The deer pinned it down with its antlers. The embers in its eyes became flames. The flames jumped from trees and engulfed the areas. I couldn't breathe. Coughing, I ran to the shore, trying not to inhale too much smoke as my vision started to blur. I remember the crackle of fire, the snaps of tree trunks, and the growls of the deer as I lost consciousness. I woke up on the shores of the mainland, washed up like driftwood. The island had been raised to the ground. I don't know who won the fight. I went looking for the antlers in the sand but never found them. I guess they're both gone. It's weird though because it's almost like I can still feel them both. Maybe it was another draw. God, I hope not. As for me, I don't make sculptures out of driftwood anymore. I'm too afraid I might stumble on a surviving branch from the island and then I'll somehow help the darkness grow back. All I can do now is hope that the fire did its job and that the island is cleansed. The ashes should have fertilized the soil by now. It will take a few years for the forest to regrow. It's only then that I'll know for sure. Five years ago, my niece, Emily, was taken. 
we always say taken because she disappeared, and even at 18, she was the most responsible person I'd ever known. The idea of her running off was next to impossible, and given her normally careful nature, a freak accident where she would never be found seemed pretty unlikely. That left taking, someone snatching her, carrying her off for some terrible reason. We knew when it would have happened. She had started working at the campus bookstore a month before her freshman year of college, and already she was being trusted with locking up on some weeknights. This particular Wednesday, the front door to the store was never locked. Campus footage showed someone wearing a dark hoodie going into the store just before closing, but never showed them or Emily leave again. Police assumed they both left the back exit, which wasn't covered by a camera at the time. Whatever the case, the trail went cold there. Emily's purse and phone were found at the store. There were no witnesses to where she'd gone or clues as to who might have taken her. No taunting messages or ransom demands ever came. And after the first few weeks, law enforcement gently let us know they were going to have to move on, even if we couldn't. And of course we couldn't. Emily was my sister Jackie's world, and mine too, if I'm honest. Part of that was because I had no children of my own, and I always helped Jackie raise her. Another was just Emily herself. She was so good and happy and kind-hearted. I don't know anyone that could be around her for more than five minutes and not love her. The last five years have been hard for me, but they've destroyed my sister, she started drinking heavily, running with a rough crowd, and moving from one sketchy boyfriend to another. It's like she knew they were going to be abusive and crazy before she even got involved with them and did it anyway, almost as though she was punishing herself for not somehow saving that little girl. The one that lasted the longest was Kyle. After six months of him threatening to burn down her house with her in it, she got a protective order and changed her number, or rather got a new number, because she still kept her old phone and number active, even if it wasn't being used anymore. She never said, but I knew it was because she was afraid of getting rid of anything connected to her past life, the one with Emily in it. As far as I know, the old phone sat in the top of a hallway closet for the better part of two years before one day last month. I'd come by to force Jackie out of the house. My idea was for us to go hiking, as she rarely left indoors anymore, and at first it went well. I could tell she enjoyed the company and the fresh air, and there were even a couple of times when I saw her smile a little. Catching those glimpses of my sister, not just frozen and numb by her pain and loss, gave me hope that in time, she might be able to actually live again. But then... When I was taking a picture of the river we'd just crossed, my phone slipped from my hand. My eyes followed it as I missed a fumbling grab forward and barely stopped myself from pitching it too far forward and tumbling to the hard ground below. The phone wasn't so lucky. It hit a rock with a crunch, bounced against a second, and then went into the swiftly moving water beyond. I knew it was gone immediately, my mind already going through the steps I need to go through to turn that phone off and get a new one. Jackie came up beside me and patted my back. Sorry, Mar. 
Was it new? I shrugged with a frown. New enough. I think I had six months left to pay on it. I puffed out of breath. <sighs> Shit. Ready to head back to the house? I was, and by the time we got back, a thought had occurred to me. I didn't have an old spare phone lying around, but Jackie did. I worried she might get mad or upset when I asked to borrow it until I got a new one, but she didn't. Instead, she just nodded and gave me a small, hollow laugh. Hmm. Yeah, sure. It's not like I need it, right? It'll need to be charged, though. I nodded. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I'll take good care of it and bring it back when I get a new phone, okay? Jackie didn't respond, but just stared ahead at the road. Her stony silence told me it was better to just leave well enough alone. I left just a few minutes after we got back to her house, old phone and bulky charger in tow. I was so tired I forgot about it until I was going to bed and plugged it up to charge. And it wasn't until next morning that I actually tried to turn it on. The screen lit up immediately as a cheery welcome jingle played through the phone speaker. My stomach clenched as I saw the home screen's picture was one of Jackie and Emily at the beach, two years before she'd went missing. I was about to set the phone down again when the flashing in the corner of the screen caught my eye. It was a notification. One unheard voicemail. My stomach lurched. It was stupid, of course. It'd be some telemarketer or a drunk dial from one of Jackie's scummy exes. That's all. No point in even listening to it to see if she needed the message. Even as I thought this, my thumb was already going through the motions to call the voicemail service and play the message. My heart was pounding. It was everything I could do to even hold onto the phone now. It was suddenly something so terrifying and repulsive, and I didn't want it around. Didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to hear what it had to say. What was wrong with me? I didn't know. But I also didn't think I could make myself bring the phone up to my ear. Fumbling with unfamiliar buttons, I finally got the speakerphone to work just as the message began to play. Oh, God. It was Emily. Mama, I, if you get this, they have me. I don't know who they are, not really. No one I know, and they all use weird, fake names when they're around me. They've had me for months, years, I don't know. I'm inside most of the time, except for when they move me around. They used to move me a lot, but... Not for a while now. They... They hurt me. They hurt me a lot. Sometimes I feel like they're going to kill me, but they never do. And when I wake up, I can't even see where they... Well, it's bad. And I think they've done things to me that are even worse than I remember. Just... Try to find me. Not you. I, I, I mean the police or something. These people are very dangerous. I think they... I think they do this a lot, maybe. They don't talk to me much, but everything is... It's like being with a doctor or a soldier or something. Like, you can tell they know what they're doing, even if you don't know what they're doing. So you stay away. 
Get some cops to come find me if they can. Maybe they can trace the call. This is one of their phones. They forgot it and I... I hid it until I could sneak and call. Your number's the only one I remember. Maybe after this, I'll call 911 if I have time, though I don't know who I can trust here. I think I'm in or near a town called Empire. One of them said that name once before, another one shut them up, and I saw a flyer outside that said Murphy Park. So if you can find a place called Empire with a Murphy Park, I bet I'm near there. I have... I have to go. I love you so much. You and Mary. I'm so sorry they got me. Please be careful if you look for me. And don't worry if you don't or you try and can't find me. I think this will be over soon either way. They... I think they're building up to something. So... I'm sorry. Just if you find me, be careful of me. I feel... I feel so strange now. And, uh, this will sound weird, but if the cops just find my body, like if I'm dead when they find me, just ask them to bury me. Don't you go around my body, okay? Just ask them to bury me deep. I played that message three times. It wasn't a fake, and we both knew it, and it was dated less than two years ago, meaning Emily had sent it over three years after she was taken. It meant she hadn't been killed right away. That she might still be alive, even now. I could barely drive as I headed back over. My hands were shaking and my head pounded as tears streamed down my face. On the one hand, I had the first hope, the first truly good thing that had come into our lives in years, sitting in my pocket. On the other, that thin healing scab that was finally starting to form on Jackie's heart. It was about to be split in two. She didn't react like I was afraid she might. Didn't cry or fall apart. I played it for her twice, and then she got on the phone and started calling the investigators that had handled Emily's case five years earlier. One of them had retired, but the other one was still working for the sheriff's office. After ten minutes of Jackie insisting, he finally agreed to meet us that night up at his office. And for the next two weeks, we spent nearly every day pushing for some kind of progress. Can you pull cell phone records? We were told they were only kept for a year. GPS coordinates from the phone? only kept for six months. How about the number itself? There wasn't currently a carrier account associated with that number, meaning the previous account had been closed more than a year before, and they couldn't find an actual person to associate with the closed account. In the end, the only leads were some general cell tower information that corroborated part of what Emily had said in her message. The phone call had come through a tower in a town called Empire, and in that town, there was a Murphy Park. The investigator made inquiries, supposedly, though I think that amounted to calling local law enforcement and seeing if they'd run across anyone meeting Emily's description. We scraped together enough money to hire a private investigator to look into things further, but after the first couple of weeks, we never heard from him again either. 
According to his secretary, he'd left to go into the field a few days earlier, but she couldn't give us more details than that. The thing was, when she told us that, it was in person and she was packing up stuff in the office. Next time we called, the line was disconnected. It was after that when we'd run out of options and hoped that Jackie finally broke. It was as though she'd been holding it together so we could find Emily, and the strain of it all had finally become too much. We were sitting on our porch, staring out at the darkening afternoon when her voice suddenly cut the stillness, raw and hot with a kind of sad anger. It's my fault, you know. I frowned at Jackie. What are you talking about? She put her head in her hands. I fucked up. I should have kept that phone, kept using it and charged. I mean, I always knew there was a chance it could be important to keep that number. I had a feeling, and then, when my baby needed me, I... I... She trailed off as her shoulders began to shake with sobs. I gently rubbed between her shoulders. No, it's not your fault. You couldn't have known, and I'm... I mean, it wouldn't have made a difference, probably. We've tried everything. Jackie yanked away, her face hard. That's a lie. They would have had more records. Could have maybe traced the call or something, and I haven't tried everything. I haven't gone to look for her myself. Swallowing, I nodded. Yeah, that's true, but we wouldn't know what we're looking for, right? Listen, I've got a call into another PI, a really high-rated one. I'll put it on my card, and we'll get him to find out what's going on. Yeah? I'll hire him tomorrow. How does that sound? Staring into the distance, she just shrugged. Sure. That sounds fine. I stayed over there an hour or so, and the next morning, I lined up the new private investigator. I tried to call Jackie with the good news, but there wasn't an answer. And when I went over to check on her, she was gone. I spent the next two days looking for her, calling, asking people, going by and riding around. I was terrified something had happened to her, or that she'd done something to herself. But as the police pointed out, when I called them, there was no evidence of that. No indication of that or anything else sinister. Her car was gone, and there were signs that she'd packed a bag before leaving. Maybe, they suggested, she just wanted some time away from everything, and not telling her sister before she left wasn't a crime. It was on the afternoon of the third day that Jackie called. I... I know, I know, Mar, I, I'm sorry, but I wanted to go to Empire for myself, see what I could find. And I knew if I told you, you'd either try to stop me or insist on going along. I didn't want you to be put at risk like that. And truth be told, in my heart of hearts, I didn't expect to find much when I got there. The first day, I'd driven most of the night just to get there, but I was still hyped up. Wanted to just get started on whatever it was. Wanting to get started on... Whatever it was, I hoped to get done by going. So I went into some of the stores and restaurants and showed Emily's picture, asked if anyone had seen her or heard about her being missing. I carried a couple of hundred of those old missing posters we still had and posted them all over too. Then I went by the sheriff's office and police department. 
They both remembered the investigators calling back when we found the voicemail, but they didn't have anything else to tell me. Or at least they wouldn't say anything else to me. Because that's the thing with that place. It's... It's not right. It's a nice looking town. Almost like somebody's dream of what a small town should be like, really. And the people are all friendly, but something... Something is behind their eyes. Like they're all in on a joke they aren't willing to share. By the end of the first day, I was about to go crazy. I wondered if I was already crazy, paranoid, looking for answers from the guy at the gas station or the place I ate lunch because I couldn't accept there weren't any answers to be found. Couldn't admit that she's really gone. I got in a room in the next town over. Jessica's resolve. I'd wanted one in Empire, but weirdly, I couldn't find any. There are motels and hotels there, but they all said they didn't have any rooms free. And a couple of places they not so subtly suggested, I find a place in Jessica's resolve before it got dark. That night, there was a knock on my door. My first thought was it was someone from the motel, but when I looked through the door... <laughs> Mark, it was her. I swear to God it was. Standing out there like she'd just gone to go get ice cream or something. I threw open the door, but she wasn't there anymore. Like she just vanished. I looked around for her, screamed for her, and I didn't see how she could have gone anywhere that fast without me seeing her. But she never came back. I almost called you that night. I felt like I was breaking apart. Either she was still out there and needed my help, or I was seeing things and I was the one that needed helping. But I was afraid. Afraid of confronting that it was all in my head. Afraid of breaking the spell of whatever was happening here. Because there is something magic here. I knew it as soon as I got into Empire. It's not as strong in Jessica's resolve, but I can still feel it. Like a quiet hum from a power line. Something special is here. The air is thick with it. But that's not all. I've seen her twice more since then. Once last night and again this morning. Just a quick glimpse and then she's gone. But I know, I know it's her. She's trying to tell me something or reach me and something is stopping her. I... I'm going back to Empire tonight. I'm going to find out what happens after dark and I'm going to get my baby back. I listened intently while Jackie talked, never interrupting for fear she might stop talking and hang up before I learned everything I could. Now that she seemed spent, I spoke to her gently as though whispering to a wild horse I was afraid might break at any wrong sound or move. Jackie? Honey, I understand, and I don't think you're crazy, but you said you're in a motel in a place called Jessica's Resolve? There was a pause long enough I was afraid she might not answer me, and then, yeah, it's called the Pinwheel Motel. Okay, how about you let me come and help you? We can go back to Empire together. Would that be Okay. I could immediately hear new tension in her voice. 
No. Damn it, Mar, that's why I didn't want to call. I didn't want you to worry, but I don't want you coming here. I've seen other stuff since that first day, too. Stuff I don't understand. I don't want you around here. I just want to find our girl and get out. Sucking in a breath, I tried to keep my voice calm. I get that. I do. And I appreciate it, but I can handle it. And we'll have better luck if we're both there together. We'll be safer, too. No. You're already safe, and I want to keep it that way. I called you so you wouldn't worry. Not to get you involved. I shouldn't have ever said where I was. I... Besides, I'm going back tonight. You wouldn't get there in time anyway. Jackie, I'm heading out right now. Please wait for me. I'll GPS it, and I'll get there as quick as I can. No. Just stay away. Please. I wanted to respond, but she'd already hung up. Jackie had been right. It was an eight-hour drive, first on highways and then on country roads, and by the time ten o'clock came, my phone said I still had over two hours left to go before I reached Empire. It was as I was sitting back down that it buzzed on my hand. Jackie was calling. She's alive! Oh god, I found her and she's alive! I slammed on the brakes, stopping dead in the middle of a roll road as my hands began to shudder. Really? You found her? Her voice was thick with emotion. I did. Oh, I... Well, she found me, really. I've been riding around for a while. Nearly every place was closed and earlier than I'd expected. The streets were mostly empty, too. It was all very weird, but then I stopped at the park. You know the one she mentioned in the voicemail? I'd been over it three times during the day, but I decided to walk it at night, just in case. At first, there was nothing. I was the only one out walking, and by the time I'd made a second circle, I was about ready to get up. She didn't look like she had when I'd seen her just a second or two the last few days. She's... She's been hurt a lot, I think. She's thin and worn down looking, dirty, but she came to me and recognized me. I think she's in shock, but she was able to talk at least. I was crying now, my mind racing. Did you take her to see a doctor? I... I was going to, but she said she didn't want to, that she was okay. She just wanted to take a shower and get some rest. I thought about arguing, but I was so happy to see her, and I figured maybe she knew best what she needed. So I took her back to the motel. She's cleaning up now. Oh, God, I'm so happy. I... I'm on the way. About two hours, maybe, though. I'll have to reset the map thing for the hotel. You said pinwheel. I could hear the happy tears in her voice. Yes, that's it. I... Well, I, I love you, Mar. Drive careful. I love you too. See you soon. I sped the rest of the way there, making it to Jessica's resolve in an hour and a half and finding the motel shortly thereafter. There were only two cars in the long gravel parking lot of the pinwheel and I pulled up next to Jackie's car. I'd forgotten to ask her what room she was in, but before I could call her, something caught my eye. Smoke was coming out from under the door 
of room 17. My first thought was fire, and I ran and started beating on the door, calling out to Jackie and Emily. There was no answer, and I realized the smell filling my nostril wasn't ash and fire, but a more acidic, rotting scent that made my stomach turn as I began to cough and choke. Stepping back, I ran at the door, hitting it with my body once, twice, and then a third time before it finally cracked and gave way. Stumbling into the room, I stared in shock and confused horror of what I was seeing. It was a motel room, or it had been, but most of the furniture lay broken against the far walls and corners of the room. On the far side, I could see the door leading into the bathroom. The door hung askew, and the yellow bulb over the sink showed a split open ruin of... What was that? It looked like some kind of large leathery ball, or a sack from a distance, its gray skin slick with some kind of shining liquid, even as the dark opening coughed out more puffs of that foul-smelling smoke. I didn't want to get closer to it, but I couldn't have, even if I wanted to because most of the room's floor was gone. It looked as though something had broken through the floor there, broken through and tunneled deep into the earth. The hole was at least three feet tall and trailed back into the dark at a steep downward angle. None of it seemed possible, and for a moment, I had the desperate, hopeful thought that I had the wrong room. The room was being rebuilt or condemned or something. There was something going on here that didn't have anything to do with Emily and Jackie. I just needed to back out, call Jack, and find out. And then I heard my sister scream from the darkness below. Jackie, are you there? I'm here! I'm here! My throat was tight with fear, and it was all I could do to suck in enough air to shout down that hole. What was this? A sinkhole? Maybe she was hurt down there? I couldn't just stand up here and do nothing, and if I waited to call for help, it may be too late. Hands shaking, I turned on the light on my phone and crawled down into the ground. The hole grew smaller further in, and it wasn't long before I went from stooping to crawling on my hands and knees. I barely noticed. The walls and floors of the passage were lined with scrapes and scratches, and periodically I saw red smears that could only be blood. None of this made sense. The hole was almost a level tunnel now, and I didn't see how the gentle slope downward would have been enough to keep Jackie or Emily from climbing back up and going outside, unless something has them, my mind whispered, unless something is dragging them down into the dark. Gritting my teeth, I went on, and periodically I would hear a noise ahead of me, a bit closer now. Once I thought it was Jackie whimpering, but everything was muted and strained underground. If only I could... I'd come to a branching path. These dugout tunnels headed off in three different directions, and in that midnight crossroad, I felt small and exposed, even with the weight of the earth all around me. Maybe I should go back. Maybe... I could help better by... I stopped at the thought, ashamed of how afraid I was. How cowardly. No, I needed to help my sister find my niece, and now was the time, before I lost both of them forever. 
I shined my light around again, and at the edge of the beam, I caught motion down the left tunnel. Turning, I crawled as fast as I could, ignoring the growing pains from the cuts on my knees and palms as I went deeper. I was right. There was something. It was Jackie. Oh god, she looked into my light as something drung her away. Letting out a scream, I pushed forward, terrified I might lose them around a corner or a new branch. I heard Jackie muttering something now, but I wasn't sure what it was. Her eyes were blank and staring, and I felt a terrible chill as I realized she'd stopped screaming or even turning to look at me as I drew near. Flinging myself forward with a grunt, I managed to grab her arm in one hand and a handful of hair in the other. I discarded my phone, twirling to the dirt as I felt whatever was pulling her give a tug hard enough that it sent me forward onto my stomach. I was up on my knees again immediately, turning to sit down and pull my sister as though she was a rope in a tug of war. The phone had come to a stop nearby and was face down, so its light shone onto the ceiling of the hole and diffused the air with a pale and sickly glow. At first I could only see Jackie, her expression blank, except for her restless lips, arms slack as I pulled her more in my direction. But then I saw something moving toward me crawling up Jackie from outside the weak circle of light. It was Emily, her skin gray and molted, her eyes black as she stared at me with barred yellow teeth. She barely looked human, much less like the little girl I loved, but I knew it was her just the same. And when she let out that tea kettle hiss, my heart thundered with fear even as it began to break again. This wasn't shock or anything I could explain. Emily, this underground Warren, all of it, it wasn't right. It made no sense, and it wasn't right, and oh god, she had Jackie's arm now, pulling it away from me, and she was too strong, and how could any of this be? And she was reaching for me now, reaching for my face, and if she touches me, I'll go insane, just let me die, oh god, I... Run. I looked down at the hoarse whisper below me. Jackie's eyes were clearer now, and... When they met mine, they carried the same steely resolve she'd had when she was trying to find her little girl. I shook my head, but she cut me off. She'll just take you two. Run before it's too late. Trembling, I glanced back up at Emily. She'd stopped her advance for the moment, her thin, dirty claw of a hand hovering a foot away from me like a threat. She looked down at Jackie, and then back at me, her cracked lips spreading out into a terrible grin. Go, Mar. It's the only way. I'll stay with our girl. I wanted to argue, to fight for her, for both of them, but I was too lost, too scared. So I let go of my sister, began to crawl backward. I half expected Emily to come after me, but she didn't. She just smiled at me a moment longer, and then began dragging her mother away until they were out of view and I was alone. I... I don't know how I made it out of there. The next thing I remember was being out in the parking lot of the pinwheel, eyes almost swelled shut from the smoke and the crying as I fumbled to get my car started and get away. I drove until past sunrise, and it wasn't until I got home that I realized I left my phone somewhere back in that dark. When I finally woke up, I went over to see Jackie's place and got her old phone. 
I told myself I was just going to use it until I got a new one, but days passed and I never quite found the time to replace it. Instead, I kept looking at the pictures on it, kept replaying that last voicemail from Emily and crying myself to sleep. And then last night, my phone, Jackie's old phone, buzzed in the middle of the night, and when I answered, I heard Jackie's voice on the other end of the line. Hey, Mar. You should come back and see us. Jackie? Is that you? Of course it is, silly. And Emily's here too. We're both here and we miss you. My heart ached for a moment, but then I remembered the thing in the dark. That was Emily now. And whatever was talking to me. You're not Jackie. You sound like her, but you're not really her. My sister and baby are dead. A rusty laugh cackled across the line. That doesn't make any sense. Come on, Mar, come back, and we can all be... I ended the call and flung the phone across the room. But it had barely landed before it was lit up and buzzing again. Stomach churning, I got out of bed and snatched it up, going outside to get a shovel and beat it to pieces before I started to dig a hole to bury it in. I was crying as I worked. It felt a bit like I was digging a grave. A grave for my sister and Emily, a grave for a life I once had that was full of love and happiness. The phone lay on the grass like a venomous snake, black and shining and still, but far from safe. I kept shoveling, and when I was satisfied, I raked it into the hole and filled the spot in. I'm getting a new phone and changing my number today. And when people ask me about my sister, my niece, I'm just going to lie. Not just to them, but to myself. Because I don't want to remember the best parts of my life tainted that way. The people I love the most, tortured and corrupted. Into, I don't know what, by something evil that I don't understand. All that love and happiness is just pain for me now. And all that fear and guilt... It's just poison that eats up my days. So I'll lie. And try to forget. And that part of me that still knows what happened. That still wants to find them again. I'll just bury it deep.